have a word of prayer, and then we will spend some time in First John chapter 1. You have something for me? Oh, got it. So let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity that we can hang out for a little bit in your scriptures. Thank you for being an amazingly merciful and gracious God as we reflect backwards on our week, especially in light of Andrew's confession, as we reflect back on our priorities, our, our perspectives, our, our, the ways in which we've emphasized certain things in our lives or whatever the case may be this week. We know we have wandered far and wide. We have not walked faithfully so much. We have been deceived. We have deceived ourselves. We have believed the lies. And we've dug, we've dug cisterns once again. And we're here this morning to acknowledge again that we need you. That we come as desperate people. And so help us. Help us to see clearly the fountain of living water. Help us to see clearly the cisterns we dig. And in the contrast, Lord, by your spirit, draw us to you. In your name I pray. Amen. First John chapter 1, I'd like to, it's a short chapter. It's only 10 verses long. I'd like to read the whole chapter. We're only going to focus on one verse this morning. But in First John chapter 1, John sets up the entire book of 1 John with these few short verses. So let me read them to you. Starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and which was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy might be complete. Or may, yeah, may, may be complete. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have darkness, I'm sorry, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It's a great text, challenging text. We're gonna only focus on one verse and the verse is verse seven. But in light of the entirety, if I may just talk briefly about the entirety of chapter one, we are reminded again as a readers or hearers of 1 John chapter 1 about Jesus Christ in verses 1 through 4. It continues obviously in 5 and following. But we're reminded of our salvation, we're reminded of Jesus Christ, uh, we're reminded of the gospel, the good news. From there, verse 5, 
we receive this statement that is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness. That's the overarching message of 1 John. It's the overarching message of who God is. What is it? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And of course, the light and darkness is referencing holiness and, or righteousness and unrighteousness, holiness and unholiness, righteousness, unrighteousness. <clears throat> in God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. And then from there, in six and following, we have a series of if-then statements. If this is true, then this is true. Or if this isn't true, then this isn't true, type of thing, depending on the verse you're looking at. It's a challenging section of verses not to understand, but to interact with. The, the, the challenge of this short section of verses, again, is not to comprehend. The challenge is to overlay those verses on our lives to help us to see who we really are. And what John is driving towards in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 and following, is this. He's challenging the reader right off the bat to ask himself a really important question. Am I in darkness? Or what? Or am I in the light? <clears throat> and what he does throughout this section is, he, is he's giving us these tests in, this, in these if-then statements, as it were. He's giving us all these different tests to evaluate ourselves by. Am I in the light or am I in darkness? And unlike the way we typically think about ourselves, John doesn't allow the reader to think this way because how we usually think about ourselves is this. Well, when I sin, I'm in darkness, but when I'm not sinning, I'm, I'm in, in the light. John does not allow that. That type of thinking is, is foreign to John. For John, we're either in the light or we're in darkness. We're either living out the truth or we're living out a lie. We're either in the kingdom of darkness or we're in the kingdom of light. And lives will declare which kingdom, as it were, we're in. Or more specifically to John, our lives will declare, more specifically, whether we are in the light or whether we're in darkness. Now, in John, 1 John chapter 2, he does give a clarification that if we do sin, we have an advocate. But who has the advocate? Those in the light. Those in the light. And he defines it so carefully in his words because he says, we. He says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. The if is kind of an interesting statement because everyone, what? Does sin. Does sin. But we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We. Who? Those who live in, breathe in, exist in the light. Yes, we still sin. But we're in the light. How is it possible we can sin and be in the light? And this is outside the scope of what I talked about this morning. How can we still sin and be in the light? Well, because those who are in the light, when they sin, what happens to evil when it's in the light? What happens to darkness when it's in the light? It disappears, right? It's driven away, isn't it? Why, what, what is the evidence that's being driven away from us? We are repenting and turning to Christ. That's the evidence that we're in the light. We find ourselves repenting and turning to Christ. Driven by the Spirit. Not by law. We're driven by the Spirit because we love the light. And we hate the 
darkness. Does that make sense so far? So he gives all these different statements. I only want to focus on the, on the if-then statement of verse 7 this morning, if I may. And when we're done with verse 7, we'll be done. Whatever that is. Ken's over here smirking because he knows how long it took for us to get through all this. Verse 7, here it is again. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What we have is we have both an exhortation, as it were, and an encouragement in the text, and we need to hear both. So I'm hoping to bring both out for us. You, see, you clearly see, if you're listening at all or reading at all, you clearly can see from a thinking perspective, there's an if-then statement. The if statement is the beginning, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. That's the if statement. It's not a guarantee. It's an if statement. If I could put it a different way, <clears throat> what do you have here? Coffee? If Charles opens this up and tilts it into his mouth, he will drink coffee. Right? Does that make sense? That doesn't mean it's no guarantee that he's going to drink the coffee, right? But if he does do that, he'll drink coffee. But if it sits here, he's going to what? Drink coffee or not drink coffee? He's not going to drink coffee. Does that make sense? If then. If this, then that. That's the point of the passage. In other words, the idea is if the if is true, this sounds really weird. Then, the then will be true. Got it? If, then. If the if is true, then the then will be true. There are some times in your scriptures where you will read a statement that ha uses the word sense instead. Like Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Sense are, you are therefore risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above. That's just another way of an if-then statement. The sense doesn't, is not a guarantee that everybody who reads it is what? Risen with Christ. They may be risen with Christ. The reader may be risen with Christ. We don't know, right? But if we are, then. So if-then. Very, very important sentence structure or um, logical structure, we could argue, uh, that is used repeatedly throughout the scriptures, if-then type of statements. The if part of the statement in verse 7 is kind of intriguing in several ways. Let me lay those ways out before we bring it back together. There's two phrases. If, but if we walk in the light, second phrase, as he is in the light. That's the if statement. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light. Which is interesting. Both phrases are interesting. And they're interesting because they don't, they're not said the way we would naturally say them if we think theologically. In some ways. Starting with the first phrase, but if we walk in the light, if we really slow down and think about it, the passage doesn't make sense the way we typically think theologically. If we, if we have correct theology, it'll make sense. But we've got to start with, with, a, with, with a statement that is outside this text, although the Gospel of John brings it really clearly, as well as many other passages in the Scriptures. John chapter 3 says something about natural man. I think it's verse 19. It says this. Natural man loves... What do you think? 
darkness rather than light. Natural man loves darkness rather than light. Now, if we know the, the, the argument throughout the scriptures, not only does natural man love darkness rather than light, we also know that natural man can, can love only one thing. Correct? Unsaved, unregenerate man can only love one thing, and that is darkness. So we end up with this interesting, not a conundrum, but interesting dilemma right off the bat. Because the text here says what? In the first phrase? If we walk in the light. Correct? But, the, but we need to start off with an understanding, and this is the understanding. We, what? Can't walk in the light. Naturally. We can't walk in the light. Why? Because according to John chapter 3, our deeds are evil. We can't. We can't do anything but evil, darkness, sin. That's all we can do naturally. Now, I, people have kicked back on that with me ever since I can remember, long before I came to Vincent Baptist Church, long before I, I started teaching it at Word of Life, back when I was working at the camp even, people would always kick back on this one with me, so let me give a point of clarification. The scriptures just say that. It says man's deeds are evil. And it's an all-encompassing statement. It's all-encompassing. It doesn't say some of. It doesn't say most of. It doesn't say many of. Natural man's deeds are evil. It says his deeds are evil. That's what it says. And the scriptures argue that everywhere. So how do we deal with that? I see people doing good things. You ever see people doing good things? Natural man? You ever see natural man doing good things? I mean, not every unsaved person is out murdering everybody, are they? No. Some of that is because, obviously, the, 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 what has been called the common grace of God. There's no question about it that we're not as evil as we possibly could be. But at the same time, every single deed of man, and by the way, not only deed, but elsewhere the scriptures say, man's thoughts are evil continually. Continually. Talk about natural man. His thoughts are evil continually. Well, how's that possible? Well, here's why. Because anything that's not done for the glory of God is going to by nature be done for the glory of well self but more importantly if it's self it's who it's the darkness the kingdom of darkness and even the king of darkness and you said it satan himself it's either for the glory of god or it's the glory of a different kingdom ultimately which obviously satan is the king of that kingdom isn't he so if people aren't living their lives practicing their deeds thinking the thoughts that are after the kingdom of God and the God of the kingdom, then they are by nature going to be after a different kingdom in their thoughts and deeds. Therefore, they're evil continually. But he says here, this interesting opening statement in verse 7, but if we walk in the light, and it should cause the thinking reader to say, wait, no one can ever 
walk in the light. And then if we combine it with the second phrase, as he himself is in the light, it gets even more complicated, doesn't it? Because we don't define what is light and darkness, do we? No, we don't define it. He does. So when we read this text, verse 7, the very first thing we need to come away with is this. And the first phrase. But if we walk in the light, the thing we need to come away with is this. We desperately need him to be merciful. We desperately need him to be gracious to us. Because I can't walk in the light. I have no hope of walking in the light. I don't even have a hope at glimpsing the light. I don't have a hope of getting even a bare minimum sampling of the light. Because my natural bent, according to Isaiah, is what? If I may put it in this kind of phrase, to despise the light. To ridicule the light. To go away from the light. You know what Isaiah 53 says? When he says, we've all gone our own way? That doesn't sound like light stuff, does it? Because light is Christ. But I'm going my own way. I despised and rejected the light. That's what Isaiah says. And all people naturally do that. So we're in, right off the bat in verse 7, we're in a, a, a problem. Because I don't desire the light naturally. I hate it. I despise it. I reject it. Hold that thought. <clears throat> the second phrase says, as he himself is in the light. Now here's, here's an interesting statement. John here in 1 John 1.7 says, talking about Jesus Christ, if we, um, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light... That's kind of an interesting phrase. As he is in the light. Again, the only way to comprehend the phrase correctly is to add more data to the text. That sounds like a bad thing to say. But the rest of the data is coming from the rest of the scripture. As a matter of fact, even in the immediate context, we find it. Right in the immediate context, what do we find? <clears throat> this is the message, verse 5. We have heard from him and proclaimed to you, God is light. And to clarify it a little bit further, and in him is no darkness at all. So folding that, and elsewhere the scriptures talk about the same idea. So folding that into verse 7, where he says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, you'd expect John to say at this point, as he is the light, wouldn't you? He doesn't. Instead, he does something really interesting. He says, as he is in the light, which, by the way, I would argue is, is such an amazing and intimate statement. 
He is not just the light. But he's in the light. If, if, if I may somehow describe it this way, have you ever had somebody shine a blazing flashlight in your eyes? Can you see the flashlight? You can't see it, can you? You see nothing, right? Because what are you? Okay, I feel a song coming on. <laughs> You're blinded by the light, right? You can't see anything. You don't see the, the flashlight. You don't see the person holding the flashlight. You don't see anything. You're blinded by that light. But what he says here, first he says in verse 5, he is the light. But then in verse 7, he says what? As he is in the light. You know, you know what that means? It means when, when you're walking in the light, you what? You actually see him who is what? The light. So if I see him who is the light, the implication of that is what? What are some of the implications of that? If I can see him who is light, what are some of the implications? Okay, we're, we're part of the light now. What else? We're at least reflecting the light, right? What else? Really big implication. We're not in darkness. We're not in darkness, certainly. What else? Anybody? Well, then we can see him. We can see him, and we are therefore close to him, and even intimate with him. He is with us. He's with us. That's the picture. It's not just I'm in a light, but he's with me in the light. He's just not blazing the light. He's with me in the light. There's an intimacy there, a closeness, a fellowship, as it were, an amazingly intimate fellowship. We are in the light together. Lastly, on the if statement, <clears throat> before we get into the then statement, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, there's actually two more statements I want to make. <clears throat> it is interesting, there is a qualifier, a strong qualifier in verse 7, but if we walk in the light, the very next word is what? As, as he is in the light. This is where that opening if statement is really challenging. I said there's a, there's a challenge here and an encouragement. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. And what this means is this. We don't, on the one hand, I've already said this, we don't define the light, right? He defines the light. He declares what is light and what is darkness. He is the one who is, who is Lord over those things. But he's also the one who defines how the walk should be. He tells us why. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. He goes on and says the rest of the verse. If these things are true, then we have fellowship and the rest of the stuff. But the operative word here, one of the operative words here is as. 
if we walk in the light as he is in the light. What John is doing here in this opening if statement of verse 7 is this. He is saying, again, there's no negotiating going on here. There's no negotiating. In other words, there's no negotiating with how we walk in the light. Or another way to put it, there's no negotiating with regard to when we walk in the light. If we have felt, if if we if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, an interesting statement, is it not? He's establishing what it looks like to walk in the light. He's the one who's explaining what it looks like to actually be in the light. And walking is the idea of, of by the very word, is, is, a, is a fellowship kind of word. But he's actually defining what it means, this idea of walking the light. He's saying, if we walk in the light, another way to put it is, in the same way that he is in the light. Or another way to put it, if we walk in the light as he walks in the light, in the same way that he walks in the light, this is a challenge, is it not? Do you remember Christ's high priestly prayer? I've talked about it many times in John 17, <clears throat> when he prays for those who are going to come after the disciples because they hear the word, the gospel. That is, those who will get saved because of the disciples' ministry and on and on and on down the, down the length of today. He prays that, that they will know the Father and the Son who you sent. And you've heard me talk about that before. The text is saying that they will know in the most intimate ways possible. As intimately as possible that they may know you, the Father, and the Son who you sent. What does he say here? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and he is in the light because he is the light, and then it causes us to pause. Remember, verse 5 starts out by talking about God, right? Which I would argue in verse 5 is taught, all we're talking about the Trinity, or that's talking about the Trinity, but I think it's focused primarily on the Father. But then it, it clarifies that Jesus is also just like the Father because he's God as well. So they're both in the light equally, correct? So what we have between the God the Father and God the Son, do we have intimacy? Do we have dramatic and powerful intimacy between the Father and the Son? Yeah. We do. Now let's bring it to us. We're not in the Godhead. We're not. We're created. He's creator. Right? That distinction is absolute. But there's no question in this text that he's driving here a point of intimacy. He says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, draws this picture, five to seven, this intimacy in the Godhead and creates a picture of dramatic intimacy between the creatures that are believers. 
and the Redeemer. How is it possible to have intimacy that in any way, any way reflects the Father and the Son? How is it possible to have any intimacy at all with the Son that would in any way, as inferior as possible, as it may be, reflect that? Right? How is it possible? Well, the Bible argues it, would, it is possible. If we recognize John's other writing, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, I believe it is, are we not grafted into the vine? Aren't we? We're grafted into the vine. That's not like intimacy. It's not like intimacy to me. Does the scriptures not tell us that he's given us his spirit to never leave us nor forsake us? Hasn't he? Does that not sound like intimacy? Doesn't he tell us that he abides with us forever? Doesn't he tell us that he actually indwells us forever? He's not ashamed to call us his own. Exactly. We're adopted as sons. Does all these type of phrases and statements, theological and biblical statements, sound really intensely intimate? Doesn't it? Dramatically intimate. The expectation of John is, if we go back to the whole first phrase, if we walk in the light, well, we know according to the scriptures, the only way we're going to walk in the light is how? If he saves us. We were what? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Hopelessly dead. But the scriptures tell us in, in Ephesians chapter 2 that he makes us alive. He pours out his grace on us, doesn't he? He pours out his grace on us. And all the rest of those blessings we just talked about. Well, the only way you and I are going to walk in the light is what? And notice, I just changed it from what I was really tempted to say. And that is, the only way you and I have any hope of walking in the light to something more certain, the only way we will walk in the light, because we will, is if he takes us from death to life. If he's the one that pours out his grace on us. So that by grace through faith, he, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved. And adopted. <coughs> grafted in. So we can call Abba Father. And on and on, throughout the, the whole expanse of Scripture. The only way we will walk in the light is if that happens in us. I would argue on top of that, if that does happen in us, the argument of John is we will, as a result, what? We will walk in the light. It's not a hope to. It's not a maybe. It's not a stutter step thing. We will walk in the light. So it is an if statement, if we walk in the light, because it's being contrasted by people who are walking in darkness who think they're in the light. That's the sweep of these five through ten verses. People who think they're in the light, but they're walking in darkness. They're calling him a liar. The truth isn't in them. These are the things he says about those people who say they're they're saved, they're in the light, but they're living like they're not in the light. 
They don't confess their sins. They don't flee sin. They don't find themselves turning to Christ. They don't enjoy the intimacy with Christ. If you go back to Hebrews, they've been sampling. Hebrews chapter 6, for example. But ultimately they have a hard heart, cold heart. Dull ears, dull ears. They're not in the light. But John says in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light, and the idea again is in the same manner as Christ is walking in the light, that is, we reflect that type of walk. And that's the challenge. I said it was a challenge and an encouragement here. The challenge is this. Are we light walkers? Are we walkers in the light? Because John wants us to ask ourselves that question. In light of what he describes here as the light and being in the light and walking in the light, am I one who is walking in the light? Now, I don't know how else to break that down for you. I think it's pretty clear in light of what we just talked about. But it is the challenge that all of us need to ask ourselves. Am I a walking in the light kind of person? Now, please don't miss the point. He's not saying if you're not, you better start trying to walk in the light. That's not his point. There's no command here. There's no command to walk in the light, which is really intriguing. You kind of expect that there would be a command to walk in the light. But there isn't. Why? Because when the Spirit moves, the people He moves in do what? They walk in the light. That's what they do. They walk in the light. They love the light. So they want to be in the light, which is why they repent when they, when they embrace sin for a little bit, because they love the light. There was something in their life before, and they loved the darkness. <laughs> they did. They loved the darkness. But they don't anymore. They hate the darkness. So when they, when they temporarily embrace the darkness, they do what? They flee to the light. And so John wants us to wrestle with, am I a flee to the light kind of guy? Am I a walk in the light kind of girl? If not, we must, it's am I? Because if we are, there's something beautiful that comes. Something amazing that comes. What's the amazing thing? The encouraging thing? It's twofold. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He says, just like he said in a twofold statement before, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, Twofold statement afterwards, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So notice, notice this here. <clears throat> he says, we have fellowship with one another. You'll notice I said in the second phrase of the if statement, as he is in the light, talking about fellowship, horizontal and vertical for Jesus. Horizontal towards us and us towards him. Vertical Jesus to God and us to, us to the Father as well. He says, we have fellowship with one another. If we're in the light, as he himself is in the light, 
then the result is what? Again, it's not a command, is it? It's not a command to have fellowship. John's not writing to you saying, listen, everybody, you got to fellowship with one another. He says the most amazing thing, the result of being in the light is what? We have fellowship. Yeah, we have fellowship with one another. Well, how is that possible? Well, it's an interesting question. <clears throat> how is it possible we have fellowship as a result of that? Well, here's the answer to it. It's really simple. If Matt's walking in the light, you might think I'm look at the end. If Matt's walking in the light, as he as as Jesus himself is in the light, and if Jim is walking in the light, as Jesus himself is in the light, they're both walking in the light. Why? Why are they both walking in the light? Help me out. Why are they both light walking the light? They're both called to the light. Because they were both called and saved into the light from the darkness, right? They both were called to the light and saved from the darkness. And so as a result, they're walking in the light as he himself is in the light. Well, if Matt's walking in the light as he himself is in the light, and Jim is walking in the light as he himself is in the light, as, as Jesus in both cases is in the light, then you know what happens? What, go ahead, what? They have fellowship. They have fellowship. Why wouldn't they? It would just be inevitable, wouldn't it? If the thing that moves Matt more than anything else is the one he sees in the light, which is who? Christ. And if, if what moves Jim the most is the one he sees in the light, which is Christ, then in the periphery, when they see each other in the light, They're fellowshipping with regard to Christ. They're fellowshipping with regard to the light. Does that make sense? That's what happens. If we walk in the light as he who is, 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 as he who is in the light, Jesus, then the result of that is we do have fellowship. There's something beautiful. There's something amazingly beautiful about fellowship with other people in the light. There's something absolutely stunning about being in the light, reveling in Christ, and as you're in the light, reveling in Christ, you look over and say, oh, look, who's here? And you find yourself with those people reveling in the light. The natural result is what? If I have intimacy with my Redeemer, and I would say a growing intimacy with my Redeemer, if I find myself being someone who is reveling in the light, walking in the light, loving the light, and while in the light I find someone else is in the light, you know what happens? We together revel in the light. We together walk in the light. We together fellowship in the light. What happens? It's incoherent. That person A could be in the light and person B wouldn't be in the light, and yet, or, I'm sorry, both people would be in the light, but there'd be no fellowship between the two. It's incoherent. 
doesn't make any sense if people are truly the light. Obviously, in a fallen world, we have people who claim to be the light but aren't. Then we have people who uh, are in sin and, and they're, they're in the light maybe, but they're temporarily in sin, so fellowship can't be there because they need to be called to repentance. But then I'm going to be doing what? I'm actually going to be calling them to repentance, won't I? Why? Because I love the light. And they seem to, they seem to have loved the light, but now they don't seem like they are. So I just want them to love the light again. And so I find myself calling them to the light. So again, as a result of fellowship. Now I don't call them so that we can have fellowship. I call them so that they can have fellowship, right? With the light. And the result will be that I'll have fellowship with him too, or her too. And then the most stunning thing in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And what? The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, please don't miss the point. John is not saying in order to have our, our, our sin cleansed, we've got to walk in the light. That's cart before the horse. But when he says this if-then statement, he's saying if... If we have fellowship, if we're in the light, as he himself is in the light, there's something we can be confident of. The confidence can be... I have confidence that if someone else is in the light and I'm in the light, that we're going to have fellowship. I have confidence in that. If you're in the light and I'm in the light, as he is in the light, we don't get to define what the light is and how to be there. He does. But if I'm in the light and you're in the light, as he is in the light, we're going to have intimate fellowship together. It's going to happen. In the same way, if I'm in the light, you're in the light, we're all in the light, as he himself is in his light, we're walking in the light, we have absolute confidence of something. What's the absolute confidence? Sin's forgiven. What did he say? Here he said, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I want you to notice something. Cleanses is in the present active indicative. It's not just cleansed. You fail today? We're in a light? His blood cleanses. This week... You know what John is saying? If you walk in the light as he himself is in the light, if, then you can be confident of something. You know what John's saying? Now, I need to clarify what I'm about to say, but what John in effect is saying, I don't care what you did this week. I don't care what your deeds were this week. I don't care what your thoughts were this week. Walk in the light, and see himself as in the light. The blood of Jesus Christ does what? Cleanses us from all sin. Now, John would say he certainly cares. But we didn't flee. Because God does, doesn't he? 
What then shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid man never be. How could you even think that way if you're in the light? Because if you're in the light, you'd be, you'd be hot after Jesus, wouldn't you? So, but for sake of argument, for sake of conservation of language, what, he, what John is saying here is this. What, what happened this week in your deeds? What did your deeds look like this week? What did your thoughts look like this week? What did your words look like this week? If you're in the light, there should have been a whole lot of them that were light kind of things, right? There should have been a whole lot of light stuff going on. Because you were walking the light. So there should have been a whole lot of light stuff going on. And you're thinking, a, lot, a whole lot of light stuff going on in our deeds. A whole lot of light stuff going on in our words. Why? Because those who are light, that's what happens. But John also acknowledges that we are people who sin. But for those who are walking in the light, as he himself is in the light, the most dramatic statement that John makes is this. It doesn't matter what it was. It doesn't matter how many it was. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Do you realize what he's saying? He is telling us something that should absolutely tell us I love the light. What he is telling you and I is how absolutely wondrous the light is. How absolutely stunningly beautiful the light is. I don't know about you. Actually, I do. I don't know about you, but I messed up this week. I sinned this week numerous times. I failed horribly numerous times this week. But I know I love Jesus. And you know how I know I love Jesus? Because I'm a recipient of his love. Because he first loved me. I know that he saved me. I know he's rescued me from the darkness, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And even though I was traitorous at times this week, I was traitorous. I know this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right here, in the same context. Just a verse or two around this. And as I confessed my sin, why did I confess my sin? Because I hate darkness. Because I despise the darkness. Why do I despise the darkness? There's one time that I love the darkness. Why do I despise the darkness? Because I'm in the light. That's why I despise the darkness. Why am I in the light? Because God put me there. Oh, mercy. His mercy and grace. 
It's just not mercy and grace in the distant recesses of my past. But this week, <clears throat> Jesus forgave me. He cleansed me again and again and again and again. That's who Jesus is. And that's how great his love for you is. And that's how great his love for me is. You know what else is behind this text? Here's what's crazy. Our God, who needs nothing. Our God, who needs no one. Loves that fellowship. He revels in that fellowship. He revels in forgiving you and cleansing you of your sin. That's who he is. He loves it. Now, there's going to come a day when we will no longer sin. He's really going to revel in that. But until that day, he revels in cleansing you. That's how great he loves you. That's how amazingly stunning his love for you is. If you're in the light, he loves cleansing you. And he can't stand, he can't tolerate darkness. So of course he's going to cleanse you from all darkness. All sin. That's how great his love for you is. This week, as you reflect back on your week, if you do and you remember, oh yeah, I sit there, yeah, that was ugly. Oh, that was so wrong. Oh, that was so Be assured of something. Be assured of his love. Be assured of his grace and mercy toward you. I'm reminded of Haggai when the people built their houses with the materials that were supposed to be building the temple. And God called. This is after the 70 year captivity because they were building against God. Here they got away, God released them, gave them all the supplies, and they did it all over again. Sound familiar? Not just for the people of Israel, but I'm talking about for you and I. And the Bible describes the old people just weeping as they saw this shack of a building compared to. Solomon's temple that they remembered from before the from before the captivity. Now, how did God respond? Because they were weeping because they thought it was all over. God certainly would not forgive them again. God responded and said, "Hey, wait, stop, stop. This is not a time of weeping. This is not a time of weeping. You need to know that I'm going to fill this." temple with so much more glory. So much more glory than Solomon's temple ever hoped to have. And why? How is he going to do that? Because Jesus himself is going to walk into that temple. Jesus himself, over 500 years later, walked into that temple and preached repentance and called them to the Filled with his glory.
who your Redeemer is. And that's what your Redeemer does. What did he say in 530 or so, 520 something BC to the people of Israel? There's a day of redemption coming. There's a day of forgiveness coming. There's a day of cleansing coming. <clears throat> and no sin is too great. And it was true. And Jesus filled the temple with his glory and then he shed his blood and died. And here he says, just like he promised it then, he promised here. The blood of Jesus, what? Cleanses, present active indicative from all sins. That's who your Redeemer is. Let's worship him, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, help us. <clears throat> we too often think so poorly and so wrongly of who you are and what you've done and what you are doing. We so often think so wrongly about our decisions, our activities, our lives. Help us. Change our hearts, Lord, so that we love the light. Change us so that we long for being in the light. You know you promised that that's exactly what we do. And have done in our doing. So Lord, I pray you help us to revel in the reality of the Lord. If any this morning that don't have that, that walk in the light, I ask you, Lord, by your spirit, you're working in your lives. Draw them to you. Draw them to you.